0: Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am March Hunter, the host of the program, our American Heritage Program, where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And we are today going to continue our series dealing with the Civil War and the personalities of the Civil War and the background of some of these men who worked through the Civil War, whether they were on the Union side or the Confederate side. So today we want to look at a man who no doubtedly had the most significance as a general in all of the Civil War. But also he is a man that has been greatly misunderstood throughout America's history. He has been denigrated greatly throughout our history since the Civil War, and it's only within the last couple years did the majority of historians that study the Civil War time period has honestly began to look back into the true character of this man as a general and as a person and what he was able to do in helping to preserve the Union in helping to get President Lincoln re-elected in 1864 and then ultimately went on to have two terms as President of the United States and had a tremendous influence with civil rights and going after legally the Ku Klux Klan and promoting uh, rights, particularly for now freed African Americans throughout the South. So we want to look at the background of Ulysses S. Grant, who had a phenomenal career, uh, a very underrated career in the military, and then also a very underrated two terms as president, which brings me to the first point that as we look at history, as we study history, as we read through our history, it is very very important for all of us not to simply take one point of view and believe that to be the 100% truth of the time period or the situation or the personality or whatever is going on. Unfortunately, man, we all have a bias. And oftentimes authors will simply write their bias or simply write, write a point of view because that is what they believe or that's what they believe, unfortunately, will sell books, or that is what want people to hear. And for many years, and even today, as I talk with people, oftentimes what I hear people say about General Grant is that, oh, he was just a stumble bum. He was not very smart. All he did was use his men as cannon fodder against Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. And he just got lucky. And none of those things are absolutely true. Ulysses S. Grant, as a general and as president, was not a drunk. He obviously was not stupid. He did not just use his men to simply overwhelm the armies of Northern Virginia and the Confederacy to defeat Robert E. Lee. And he had a very successful presidency, even though there was issues and there there was particularly several issues in his presidency with some of of his staff and some of the people that he appointed to different cabinet positions. And the question begs to be answered, why does General Grant, President Grant, have this bad reputation with so many Americans? It's because of what we hear from someone else is what we believe. So someone else hears that Ulysses S. Grant was not a good person, and they continue that on. The reality and the truth is, after the Civil War, many Southern historians wrote the history of the Civil War. And because it was General Ulysses S. Grant who defeated Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia, these Southern historians had a tremendous tremendously high opinion of Robert E. Lee, and because he was defeated by Ulysses S. Grant, their bias was toward Robert E. Lee and elevating him to this place of being godlike, um, a marble statue, and denigrating the character of Ulysses S. Grant in his life, in his person, in his life as a military general, and then also as president of the United States, simply because of what Grant believed as president, what he tried to do towards civil rights, what he tried to do with Reconstruction throughout his presidency. So again, let me remind you, never take one point of view and believe that to be truth, as in life study everything for yourself. Accumulate as much information as you can possibly absorb or obtain about a person or a situation or a time period. Pull all of it together and see where all the, the overlapping common denominators are before you or I or anybody else creates an opinion or forms an opinion. Simply do not believe something because that's what you hear. So let's look a little bit at the background and life of Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, He was raised in Ohio. As a young boy, he had a tremendous ability to train horses, to ride horses, and to be a horseman. And he loved, he absolutely loved horses. He, He was not a very big person. Actually, he was what we would consider today on the smaller scale in his stature. Uh, he wasn't even born Ulysses S. Grant. He was his act his name is actually, he was born Hiram Ulysses Grant from Point Pleasant, Ohio. Uh, his background, his family background is his his ancestry is came right out of the Mass- Massachusetts Bay colony, and his family came over here. His ancestors came over in around 1630. His great-great-grandfather fought in the French and Indian War. His grandfather, Noah Grant, fought in the American Revolution at Breed's Hill. Ulysses Grant's father, Jesse, was a staunch abolitionist. Uh, Jesse Grant's parents died when he was young. Jesse was taken in by a family and raised in Ohio who were staunch abolitionists. And they were the Brown family. And if that name is familiar to you, that is John Brown's parents who helped raise Jesse Grant. And actually, Jesse Grant, Ulysses' father, shared a bedroom with John Brown's older brother. So as a young person, Jesse became a staunch abolitionist. And so as Ulysses was growing, he was taught a staunch abolitionist viewpoint, and Ulysses S. Grant continued to have that viewpoint all throughout his th- throughout his life. When Ulysses was born, there was nine names put in the hat because they didn't know what to the, there was no understanding of who, what his name was going to be. So his father picked the name out of the hat, and it was Hiram. So Ulysses' first name was Hiram. Ulysses or Hiram's father liked the name Ulysses out of Greek mythology because it connotated strength and character, he said, well, then his middle name was going to be Ulysses. So his name is actually was Hiram Ulysses Grant. And we'll get to how he came, how they came up with the name Ulysses S. Grant. His parents were Methodist. He was raised in a very quiet home, He was raised with a tremendous amount of piety and grew up in a home where quiet and piety was the nature of the home. His mother, his mother's name was Hannah. She was a very devout Methodist who instilled in her children this idea of piety and quietness of nature. And we see that throughout General Ulysses S. Grant's life, that he was primarily a quiet person. He didn't like the fanfare. he really didn't like to have the spotlight put on to himself. Uh, he did, wasn't one of those ones that would rant and rave like we see so many other, particularly generals and military leaders in America. So he was quiet. he had a quiet nature. He had a tremendous amount of piety. Uh, he was not a, a formal church grower for many years of his life, even though his parents were very devout Methodists. They didn't actually force him to go to church, but he did absorb the the, pi- the nature of piety and the quiet spirit from his parents, particularly from his mother. Grant was not political. He was very much apolitical before the war and then Though he was apolitical, he was always a staunch abolitionist. So the only political point that Grant held to as a young person was he was a devout abolitionist and stayed out of politics, very similar to to Dwight D. Eisenhower, was apolitical until he ran for the presidency in 1952, and then Grant was also apolitical until he ran for the presidency in 1868. His father owned a tannery. His father was hoping that as Grant grew up and grew up into young adulthood, he would take the tannery over him. Uh, Ulysses did not like tannery as a work. It was messy, it was smelly, and he didn't particularly like the physicalness of working in the tannery or even running the tannery. So, when he was 17 years old, his father petitioned uh, Representative Thomas Harner to see if he could get Ulysses an appointment at West Point, which Republican or Representative Harmer was able to do that. Now, Harmer, Harmer, Harner, and Jesse were from different political parties, but Harner got. Uh, an appointment for Ulysses S. Grant to go to West Point. So at 17 years old, Grant now goes to West Point. And when he goes and he's registering, uh, Representative Harmer misrepresented his name. And so when Grant registered, there was not Hiram Ulysses Grant, but it was Ulysses Grant. And and so the officer said that he needed to have a, a, a middle, at least a middle initial. So Grant, particularly not liking the name Hiram, said nothing about his first name being Ulysses. And he said, well, then my middle initial is S. So that, that's how we get to Ulysses S. Grant rather than Hiram Ulysses Grant. And so he would tell people all throughout his four years at West Point that his middle name, the S stood for Sam, Ulysses Sam Grant. So oftentimes you would hear people calling him Sam as a nickname. And then in that time period, when as a cadet, when you would get a saddle, they would stamp your initials into the side of the saddle. And so Grant could envision in his saddle the initials H-U-G, hug, for Hiram Ulysses Grant, and he thought that he would ma- be made, greatly made fun of, so he stuck with Ulysses S. Grant, or U-S-G, Ulysses S. Grant. Um, he was a proficient horseman at West Point. He, he, he actually sent a, a, a high jump record that held up for 25 years at West Point, when he entered West Point, he was five foot two and about 113 pounds. When he left West Point four years later, he was five7, just about five7. So Grant was always on the slender side. He was not a very tall man, uh, but he was always on the, the, the slender side. And amazingly, at West Point, what Grant loved to study was romantic art, particularly that of Robert Walter Weir. and he re- read a lot of James Fenimore Cooper. And he read a lot of romantic art literature rather than particularly studying so much of the military lectures that he had and uh, studying a lot of his textbooks. He graduated 21 out of a class of 34. Uh, His closest friends and one of his roommates for a time at West Point was Frederick Tracy Dent. And Frederick Dent later on introduced his sister to Ulysses S Grant, Julia, and they ended up actually married. So, his roommate Frederick Dent introduced his sister to Ulysses S Grant and they 4 years after their courtship they were they were married. Another close friend of Ulysses Grant at West Point was James Longstreet, who was one of the best generals in all the Confederate armies and oftentimes he was the right-hand general with Robert E Lee and fought several battles against Ulysses S Grant during the war and he was one of the three cadets that was in Julia and Ulysses Grant wedding and many theologians or excuse me many historians believe that he was actually the best man in their wedding so he graduates in 1843 he meets Julia in 1884. And after a four-year courtship, uh, they are finally married. But in between, uh, Grant is sent to the Mexican War. And he he comes in contact with General Winfield Scott, General Zachary Taylor, Major Robert E. Lee, and several other future Confederate generals. Grant was not in combat during the Mexican War. He was actually a quartermaster general, or excuse me, a quartermaster. And he was a phenomenal at the job. And Zachary Taylor actually gives credit to Grant to for supplying his troops that got all the way down into Mexico City during the Mexican War. Grant was not in agreement with the Mexican War. He did not like James Polk. He believed that for us to to go to war with Mexico simply to get their territory was, was wrong, but because he was in the military and he was loyal to the, the the nation and he had a job to do, he was he was quartermaster. So after the Mexican War and after he got the attention of particularly Winfield Scott and then Zachary Taylor, uh, he was he was assigned to the Northwest Territory the Pacific Northwest. And that's where we see Grant getting into some trouble or a lot of trouble with drinking too much. He became very depressed. He became very lowly lonely because Julia was back in the St. Louis area and he he drank heavily. And when that finally came to light, he eventually resigned resigned from the military And went back to civilian life. Uh, And so this is where we see part of the reputation that Grant has, that he was just a stumble bum drunk, which is he overcame that. Uh, Was there times in his life where he drank too much? Yes. Was there times in a lot of these people's lives that they drank too much? Absolutely. But Grant was able to bring that under control. He resigned, went back to civilian life and uh, he actually tried farming for a while and that did not work out so well then he moved back to julia dents family's plantation and he he had was given 850 acres to farm he got very sick he got malaria almost died and then when he recovered from malaria, he gave up farming. He, he knew that farming was not for him. Uh, and in the same time when he was farming the land that, that Julius' father gave to him, Julius' father gave him a slave named William, William Jones. And as Grant detested slavery, he actually freed the slave. Grant was needing money. And he honestly, he could have sold the slave for close to a thousand dollars for his, for his financial needs, yet he freed the slave and gave William Jones his freedom because he, he, he abolished. So he was an abolitionist. Then Grants moved to, to St. Louis and he was in the real estate business for several years. And that brings us up to 1860 where they finally, the Grant, Ulysses and Julia finally moved to Galena and he then Ulysses finally takes a position in his father's leather goods business, but not the tannery, but not the tannery. So that's what brings us up in a small background that brings us up to Ulysses Grant's civilian life and education life up until the Civil War at this point. So Grant is not in the military. He was a quartermaster. He resigned his commission He spends several years as a civilian trying different occupations, whether it's farming, real estate, then coming back and managing his father leather goods business. And then April 12th, 1861 happens, which most of us remember that that is the bombing of Fort Sumter, the bombing of Fort Sumter. President Lincoln calls for 75,000 volunteers to stop these southern states from seceding from the Union, and General Ulysses S. Grant then helps form a militia company in Illinois, outside of Galena. And, and he, so he helps form a militia company. Uh, he asks actually for a commission in the regular United States Army, after he helped raise the this militia company and it was totally rejected by General George McClellan. McClellan refused to recommission Ulysses Grant to the military. And the reason McClellan did that was because McClellan was a cadet at West Point. He was actually a year behind Grant at West Point, and he did not particularly like the personality of Ulysses Grant. He thought he would not make a good good military leader. Uh, He saw that Grant at West Point was not really serious about studying his texts. He would rather, his textbooks, he would rather read the romantic literature. And so McClellan fully rejects Ulysses S. Grant to be recommissioned at this point. But Grant is still now working in and with this Illinois militia. And then ultimately, which he he is a colonel in the Illinois militia, ultimately this Illinois militia was transferred to Missouri. Still militia, fighting under you know, fighting as a, an Illinois militia, fighting Confederate troops in Missouri, and we know that the the bloodshed in Missouri was 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 awful at this point. Um, Henry Halleck, who was now today we would probably consider him our Secretary of State, Henry Halleck did not also did not like Ulysses S. Grant, did not want him to be a commissioned officer. In the regular Union armies. And so Henry Halleck, as human beings often do, he began to spread rumors about Ulysses S. Grant, about his um, very hard drinking. He was very unreliable. He spent most of the time drinking or drunk in a drunken estate, and he is not worthy of leadership in the United States military. And yet, Grant did a phenomenal job as a colonel in the militia fighting out in Missouri. So it is, and we see with Grant's Illinois militia how important it was particularly to fight and to hold on to Kentucky. So Grant is ordered to Kentucky. And Grant, the Illinois militia, took Paducah, which is important in the the sense of that, It was important for the Union to Kentucky to be neutral. And if the Union troops could control Kentucky, it would stay as a neutral state. And that's exactly what uh, Ulysses S. Grant was able to do as the colonel in the Illinois militia, who was still not yet a commissioned officer in the regular United States Army. So that is where we're going to stop uh, for this program, and we're going to pick it up from that point on when Ulysses S. Grant becomes a a commissioned officer in the United States Army and then begins begins to to secure the Mississippi and the Western theater uh, of the war – for the Union troops and begins to see the end of the Confederacy with the Western part of, of the Anaconda plant. So we will pick it up with Grant's now commissioned career in the United States military. So this is 1180 AM WFYL. We are working for your liberty.